Proverbs chapter 29, and this is going to be a beginning of just three-part series on vision. And um, when we look at the month of January, we think about the year ahead of us, uh, so many people have, and I just want to ask you, how are you doing with your New Year's resolutions? Anybody make any? <laughs> no? no? Good job, you guys are <laughs> mature Christians or <laughs> something else. <laughs> Excuse me. Peace. peace. All right. Peace of God rules our hearts. Um, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. A very small percentage of people that can make their New Year's resolutions keep them by the, by the 14th of the month. And I like to look at it like this, that God has made resolutions on us through Jesus Christ. And we just agree with those resolutions. And maybe, of course, there's like personal goals that we have, and that's awesome. But um, having a vision in our life really begins with a few different factors, and I want to look into them this morning. But I think that there are so many people in their lives that just have no vision. Um, they're looking for a vision. We see them everywhere. Go to the mall. You see people looking for vision in their life. Anything short of an eternal vision in our life, an eternal purpose, an eternal calling is going to be uh, just a, a self-maintained vision that we have to maintain, that we have to keep ourselves. And when there is no ver- vision, people perish. We, we quote that verse a lot in Proverbs 29, verse 18, but what it says in the original is, is that when there's no revelation, when there's no illumination in a person's life, people live without restraint. You ever never notice that when there's no vision in your life, there's no higher purpose, higher calling in our life. We begin to live with no restraint. Things don't matter to us. We let things slide. We become, we don't have any motivation. We don't have any inspiration. It's because there's not that vision in our life. And when the purpose-driven movement began several years ago, it really, it really dawned on me um, where Christianity was, was at, that there would be such a emphasis on purpose I just, it was like a purpose revival of some kind. And I just kind of was amazed at where Christianity was at, where we had lost our sense of purpose. I love purpose. I feel that every morning when I wake up, I'm just so excited to get out of my bed and just face the day because I just, I'm so excited about being here. I'm so excited about you all, the team. I'm excited about what we're doing. I'm excited about God's calling in our life. And I don't sense in my life a sense of lack of restraint. I think when we try to place restraints when there's no vision, then it turns into what? What's it turn into? Legalism, right? It turns into some bondage program, some kind of religious system that doesn't honor God. And so when we look at vision, vision doesn't begin with a business plan nor a resolution for self-development, but a revelation of who God is. That's where vision begins. We talk about vision. I think some of us, myself, are going to pull out a big plan, and we're going to talk about this awesome thing, this awesome program that we could actually do. But vision doesn't begin there. Vision has to first begin when there is a revelation of who God is. When we look at who God really is, I think when you see people in the Bible, when you see what their life with God is, and how, for example, Paul the apostles life with God begins. Where does it begin? 
Where does Paul the Apostles, who's living in just absolute arrogance, he was like the, that day he was the, uh, he was the ISIS of that day, um, killing and murdering Christians. And what has it begin with God condemning Paul? No, it begins with a revelation of Jesus Christ. I think whenever God wants to do something new in our life, he begins with just a new revelation about who he is, about who God is, not about how bad we are, not about how bad the world is or how much need there is in the world. I think a vision that's based on need is very tiresome, doesn't it? It just becomes, it becomes um, wearying. It, become, it just wears us out. I think the hardest thing, I think the hardest mission in the world probably must be a humanitarian vision without God. Trying to meet the needs of the world without God, that's like insanity. I would go crazy. I would just lose my mind. I would, I'd be on medication 24-7. I'd be on other things too. And it just begins with a revelation of who God is. That's where, you know, if you see something happening in your life where you're like, I lack vision in that area of my life. In my life. I lack vision in the area of my family. I lack vision in the area of my health, my finances. I lack vision in the area of my outreach or my business. Don't begin with, okay, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. Get rid of the word should. That word should is not grace vocabulary. Just get rid of that word should. The Polish word for should is interesting. It's made up of two words. It's made up of according to guilt. Okay, Powinna in Polish. You know, it's fun learning other languages because you can take apart the words of those of us that speak other languages. You can take apart these words, right? And you can see like there's root words and there's history to those words. And I'm sure it's the same in Asia. But should is a word that doesn't belong to the gross, the grace vocabulary and vision. It's, it's another word. It is, it is a word of grace and love that motivates us. Vision doesn't begin with business plan nor resolution of what I'm going to do, but it just starts with God. It just starts with God. Start with God and everything in your life. Just say, you know what? This is not going to plan. This is a mess. <laughs> this is not right, or this situation is not right, or you know, that situation is not right. You can plug in the, the variables, but just begin with God in your life. And I, I want to read a great example. When Jesus came in Matthew 16, verse 13 through 19, he, came, he comes to the region of Caesarea Philippi. I love that. Jesus is on the move. Jesus was always on the move in his life. You know, you look at Christians, you look at our lives, when we live by faith with a vision in our life, Jesus had a vision to complete the work that God had sent him to do, John chapter 4. Jesus says, my meat's to do the will of the Father. My meat's to do the will of the Father. I remember being in Bible school and just kind of a time in my life where I was on the verge of maybe some not great decisions. And our pastor preached this message in John chapter 4. My meat is to do the will of the Father, him who has sent, who, who has sent me. And I think about that. That was his bread and butter. Jesus is on his way to the region of Caesarea Philippi. You know, when we have a vision, there's geography involved. You know, April's going to go to Bible school in a few days to, to Baltimore. And that's such a huge step of faith for her. We want to really get behind her in prayer. It just kind of sneak, sneak, snuck up or sneaked up or snook up or how do you say that in English? <laughs> snuck her <it> up. <laughs> Uh, this, the, and, and she's going, and it's been kind of like a, a real process, but really let's be on our knees for her. And um, Our little team is sending someone to Bible school. Isn't that amazing? Austin is there. He's doing awesome. Jesus is, has a vision in his life, and there, that involves geography. And he asks his disciples, saying, who do men say that I am? Who do I, 
Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And I'm going to try to just get my notes here because I've been um, speaking here without my notes. But I think it's going okay, isn't it? Maybe it's better without the notes. When Jesus comes, and he said to them, some say that, and they said to him, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? I love that. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, who's always the first one to answer, says, you are the Christ, the anointed, the son of the living God. And then Jesus in verse 17 says to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The progression of vision. You know, when we look at vision and these, when we look at what Jesus is saying in these verses, we see three things about vision. Number one, we see that a vision of Jesus, who, a vision of who Jesus is, and that's divine revelation. That's where vision always begins, a vision, an understanding of who God is. Again, we don't want to start with ourselves because, then, because that's a self-made vision, and that always fails. Maybe it's an awesome vision. I mean, you look at... You look at what Microsoft and Apple is doing. What a vision they've got, right? But it's natural. It's a natural vision, and it can't transform the base, the base problem of the sin nature. Number two, vision of who we are in the finished work. That's the second thing, and we're going to talk about that next week, the vision of who we are. First, it begins with God, and then secondly, it begin, then, it, then it happens that we begin to understand who we are. Jesus says to Peter, thou art Peter. And then thirdly, the vision of what our calling is. Jesus calls Peter into the ministry. And so um, Jesus along, his, on the, along the road is always challenging uh, people about what they understand who he is. I love that because when he does this, when he does this, he does this for one reason, so that we could grow in our understanding of who he is. Um, without this challenging, I think circumstances come our way. They come our way. They are divinely orchestrated by God so that we could grow in an understanding of who God is. We fail, and then we begin to discover who God really is. Peter walks out onto the water having a vision of Jesus Christ on the water. He goes out there to meet him. I love that faith. He steps out in faith. And what happens? Peter, yeah, he fails. He begins to sink. He gets scared. He begins to live in fear. And I think that fear is something that is so close to us. Fear is something that lives right next to us. You know, when we think about the closeness of Judas to Jesus, that was unbelievable, wasn't it? Like Jesus allowed Judas to be so close to him. Why? Because the believer, we as a, as a child of God, are not, we are not afraid of evil. And as a matter of fact... Um, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we're going to experience times when we sense the evil is very near to us. And it gets very near to us. But what's closer to us than fear and evil? The presence of God. 
Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in you is closer to you than you are to yourself. You know that? We live in such of our, we live in our own presence, don't we? We wake up in the morning and we're like, okay, I'm hungry, I'm this, I'm that, I'm afraid, or I'm guilty, or this. But you know something? Jesus is always challenging us to reckon on his presence that is closer to us than our own selves. He is so close to us. Um, Jesus says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what does Jesus say? Well, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven has revealed this even unto you. We are either living in a flesh and blood revelation of God or we're living in a divine spiritual revelation of who God is in our life. This is what we like to use in our church called being spiritually taught. Um, there are so many natural comment, the concepts of God. Like, for example, when you and I in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, are not being daily quickened in the spirit of our mind, what can easily happen is that we can just live in a natural concept of God. We live in our natural knowledge of God. Like, you know, we could be saved 30 years, and a lot of us maybe have a lot of Bible verses in our soul, in our mind. But if I'm not being quickened in the morning, and if you're like me, you know, in running a business, if I'm not quickened in the morning, that business is just going to, that's a, that's a monster, isn't it? It's just going to gobble you up. <laughs> I, got, I mean, I, I go from the bed to my Bible as quickly as I can because there's these details that just want to gobble us up. Maybe you're going to school or you're in a situation where uh, you've got a lot on your plate. But if we're not quickened by the Holy Spirit and who God is to that moment, we're going to start living in flesh and blood concepts of who God is. And it's just going to be natural perception. What are some of the natural perceptions that that the, the disciples come back with. Well, there's John the Baptist. Three different kinds of concepts, I think, that natural people have of God. Number one, or natural comments, concepts that people have of Jesus Christ. Number one, he's like John the Baptist. The wild, ascetic, survivalist Jesus who ate honey and bugs. I mean, that's just, you know, having a picture of John. They say, well, he's like John the Baptist living in the wilderness. Some people's concepts of Jesus is like that. Well, if I follow Jesus in my life, I'm going to have to live in the wilderness with a loincloth and eating honey and bugs. And just, you know, that doesn't sound too exciting. I mean, some of us, that sounds awesome. <laughs> I know Wes likes that idea. Where did I come I've gone camping with you, man. <laughs> yeah, we won't get into that. He had more than just a loincloth. <laughs> He had his knife, that was, he had his matches and his knife, and that was it. And he lived in a paper bag. Oh, you had a nice time. That survivalist concept of Jesus Christ, which is not the right concept of God. We have this hyper-spiritual concept, maybe, of Jesus Christ. And like, okay, he's in the wilderness. No, that's not really, the, that's not the, the correct nature, not uh, concept of God. Secondly, Elijah, the miracle worker. Some people look at Jesus as only the miracle worker. And we can see that, we turn that on TV. We can see that happening all the time. Miracles happen with God, okay? But it's not the only thing that happens. There's other awesome things going on with Jesus Christ, Elijah, the miracle worker. And then third, Jeremiah, who was more of like a melancholic type, who meditative. Uh, he, wrote the book, uh, he wrote the book of Lamentations. When you read that, man, I tell you, just, you, just get, you get into touch with your melancholic side sometimes. You just get, whoa, this is really lamenting and he was not like Elijah and he was not like John the Baptist but he was more the meditative melancholic preacher of doom and that is not that is also not the correct nature 
of who Jesus Christ is. But when we look at Jesus Christ and he is our vision, we say the same thing that Peter does. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. The disciples' revelation of Jesus Christ is by spiritual revelation and not human perception. I want to read an awesome quote by A.W. Tozier that I read um, a few days ago. The church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted for it one so low and so ignoble as to utterly as to be utterly unworthy of thinking, worshiping men. And then he goes on later on and says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Nothing more, as we sang in that song earlier, as a team, as we think about in the next 90 days, we're going to be launching our church April 1st. There's a lot of awesome things that have happened this past week. When we think about all the awesome things that are going to happen and just how God's going to do it in such a simple but powerful way, the first thing we have to look at is God. Our expectations have to be on God. Our expectations have to be on Jesus Christ because he is the one that is doing the work and he's the one that's gathering and pulling people together. And what comes to our minds when we think about God and God, you know, what God is and who God is is the most important thing about our church. You know, the church that we're going to be giving birth to. You know, we're all pregnant with, if we can spiritually pregnant with a church, and we're going to give birth in a few months, in three months. And we're going to give birth to something through the Holy Spirit, and that's just such an awesome thing. But the most important thing about us and who we are as a church is what our concept of God is. I mean, we could have a lot of money. We could have a lot of resources as a team. We could have a lot to deal with, right? We could, and I know I've, I've met church planters that have an incredible amount of resources. But the question is, what is your concept of God? What is your vertical with God? You know, I, 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 I'm challenged. I, I had a friend of mine. He's moved away, but he was with us for a little while in the beginning, John Chung. And he just said to me, don't assume that everyone on your team understands what the gospel is. I was like, oh, that's a... He gave me nine points of things not to do. He was on a church planning team that failed and, and because the leadership was dysfunctional. And he said, here's some nine things that I learned. I was like, that was the best Bible school class ever. It's like so awesome. And he said, one of, the things that you, one of the things that you don't want to do is you don't want to assume that everyone understands the gospel of grace and understand who God is. We as a team in our daily life, in our marriages, in our families, and in our parenthood, in our steps of faith, need to live in a constant revelation of who the nature of God is. Every morning, just being quickened in the spirit of our mind in Ephesians 4, 23. Your mind has a spirit. Isn't that awesome? There's a spirit in your mind. It's not just this intellectual, mental process of logic going on. There's a spirit there, and that needs to be revived and quickened. And that happens when we go to the cross every morning. We say, God, not my will, but thine be done. Not my love, but thy love be, be done. Not my peace, but thy peace be done. Not my ability, but thine ability. The most important thing about us is our understanding of who God is. Let's look at Job, uh, just an awesome verse in Job 26, verse 14. And it says this, and I love this verse. Um, I just kind of discovered it recently. And it said, Behold, these are but outskirts of his ways. These are mere edges of his ways. And how small a whisper we hear of him. 
but the thunder of his power, who can understand? The thunder of his power, who can understand? You know, we live in the plan of God, and many times we're only seeing the edges of his ways. Remember that diagram we drew a few weeks ago? It was a circle, and the finger, and that's like our sphere of perception of what we can perceive that's happening in our life. Those are five or six senses that we have that can perceive the world that we live in. And God, most of the time, is functioning outside of that circle. That's beyond our perception. We cannot see what's happening today, you know, even on the other side of those bushes over there, because we are limited in our perception. But God is working in his plan for you and I, for for our team, for this church that's going to be starting. He is working outside of the circle. We don't even see what he's doing. But sometimes the finger pokes through into that little sphere, and we see the finger of God. He kind of just kind of crosses over that line, and we're like, wait a minute, there's God. He's wor- That's a miracle. It's like, oh, he decided to do something. God just woke up, you know. It's, no, he's been working, and he just kind of crossed over our sphere of perception. He, he did something that, we, that we, we could see him out of the corner of our, of our eye working. God is always working, and we only live, we're only living many times, and we are only seeing the mere edges of his ways. And this is this verse here that when we have a vision of God, we don't necessarily always see what he's doing. We don't always see, like, the answers to prayer. We don't always see, like, okay, this happened, this happened, this happened according to my schedule. But we're living sometimes, we're in a place where, that's why faith is so awesome. Because in Romans 1, verse 17, faith reveals the righteousness of God. When you and I are walking in faith, and not on the cables, when we're walking on faith... Um, we're walking by faith in our life, then something's being revealed that the devil really hates. He hates, the devil hates the, the righteousness of God. Righteousness is just that mode of how God functions. It's just, it's just this incredible elite way of thinking, this incredible high standard that's so high no one can ever reach it. That's why Jesus had to come down. Jesus is not the guy, I read this yesterday, Jesus is not the guy on the top of the stairs telling us to come up and meet him on the top of the stairs. He came down the stairs and met us at the bottom of the stairs and carries us up the stairs. His righteousness is so high that it exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And unless, that's why Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees and the Sadducees, then you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And so when we walk by faith with a vision of who God is, then what happens? Then the righteousness of God is revealed. God's power is revealed. God's glory is revealed. People say, wow, there's God. I see God in your life. Or um, I see God functioning. Or what you just said to me was straight from God. You ever heard someone say that to you? Wow, what you just said to me. I don't know if you've ever had someone say that to you. Maybe you haven't. But when someone says to you, you know, what you just said or what you just did was such an answer to prayer. That is just like God being revealed in your life because you're taking steps of faith. You're taking an invisible God and translating him into a visible, in this visible world. It's like we're translators, we're ambassadors. That's what we do. We hear God in our private intimacy with God in our prayer rooms or in our Bibles or in the morning or when we're in our car or vehicle going to work and we're hearing from God. And then we get to our location and we just say that in the language of the people that are around us. And they see God. It's like a train. How many of you have ever translated into another language before? Okay, this is my wife. And you guys have done it. How about translated from into Texan? 
<laughs> We're taking something that's not known into, into something that's known, and that's revealing the righteousness of God. When we live with a vision of God, it's not me trying to fill in the gaps. You know, it's not me trying to fill in the space. You ever do that? You step out into something, and you're, you yourself are trying to fill in the gaps yourself. Well, we just need to, to get quiet before God and just live in, the, in just the edges of his ways. And I want to just finish with this. And I know this is not really a long message, but just very simple in the sense that, that um, a vision is not, some, is not some subjective, weird experience that we look for. A vision is basically... Uh, just a, an enlightening or an understanding in our mind of something that we did not know before about God. Okay, how many of you this week had something happen to you that gave you a better understanding of who God was? Even some small way. That's a vision. And the vision is a progressive thing that comes through the Word of God. A vision of God is never something outside of the Bible. It's never something outside of the Word of God. It's never something outside of of the written word of God, the Logos. It's always within the written word of God. When God speaks to us, a vision is always through what's already been in some way revealed through his word. But a vision is when, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, and I want to close with this verse. And I thought I had that here, but I guess I don't. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. And this is what Paul's prayer was. And we're going to look at these verses along with this series. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. And this was Paul's passionate prayer for his church. Imagine Paul as a pastor. And this was the burning desire in Paul's heart. This is what my heart, my desire is for us and for those that God brings in to our, through our doors. Is in verse 17. Um, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Paul, if you'd imagine Paul just yelling this, he's just like, that God would give you. He is so passionate about this. You ever have a passion about someone that someone would understand an aspect about God and just, they're just not getting it? And you're just like, there's so much desire and passion and energy that... It's like, I wish you would just understand about how gracious God is in this area of your life or how powerful God is in this area of your life or how faithful God will be in this area of your life. This is what Paul is saying, that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding. What are the eyes of your understanding? It sounds, a, it sounds kind of weird. The eyes of my understanding. Well, our understanding, the way we understand things, the way we perceive things, uh, in, in Greek, what it's saying is, is that you actually are perceiving things with an eye that you just can't see. The way we perceive things, the way we understand things. Remember when Jesus said, do you call my eye evil? That I was gracious, that I gave this guy the, the same amount of money at the end of the day that you all got working all day. Remember that? Do you call my eye evil? Do you call me evil that I was gracious? He's saying here that the eyes of understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance to the saints. That God would open, but I think that when we begin to understand who God is through a spirit of wisdom and, and revelation and through the knowledge of him, you know what happens? 
there begins to be a greater understanding of what our calling is and who we are. And he says here, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. I'm going to finish with that. When you and I just say yes to God, I don't understand, I don't have the power to believe, but I just say yes. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. How many of us have always have ever prayed that? That is the great prayer. That's the great prayer that God loves to hear. That's a prayer that God's going to always answer in your life. God, I believe, theoretically, I know the Bible verses. This is what I've been taught growing up. And this is what I've read. But help my unbelief. That honesty in our relationship with God, when we look at God and say, you know what, I believe because Jesus did it, but God, there's nothing in me that could ever generate that energy to trust you. We say, God, I believe, help my unbelief. Then we begin to experience the greatness of his power towards us. We may not feel it because the power of God is not first felt. It's not first felt emotionally. It's, it's, it's perceived in our spirit. It's just something that we know. And the spirit of a man is that part of us that lives in conviction. The soul of a man is that part of a man who lives in feeling. And I'm going to talk about that some other time. But our soul is that sphere of feeling and experiencing and knowing and like, and like you know, intuition and, and like personality and preferences and opinion. But that spirit of us is that part of just conviction. It's just that binary part of us that says, yes, I believe God. It's that part of us that, that is a window to heaven. And so I just want to finish with this one, just this one main point that whenever we get lost and we get disoriented in our life, point your compass at the at the nature of God. Just get occupied with God. When trials come in our life, the temptation is to get subjective, is to get, is to look at yourself and say, what did I do wrong? You know, I must have done something wrong. And whenever we do that, <laughs> there's always going to be a reason why we could say, God, you know, I did something wrong. But just get occupied with God. When the prodigal son came home, the dad didn't let the son get occupied with himself. The, the dad wanted the son to be occupied with him. I want to give you a robe. I want to give you know even the, even the, the 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 prayer of repentance. The son only gets halfway through it, and then the father interrupts him and says, you know, I my son was dead and now he's alive. And that's what is really the, the issue with God here is is that that you know sometimes we're going to live in that sense of unworthiness. We're going to be like, you know what, I am not worthy to be like doing anything on this team. I don't know how many times we think that. I know, I think that a lot. You know, I am totally unworthy. God's like, what else is new? <laughs> you were not worthy from the beginning. That's why I had to qualify you in Ephesians chapter 3. I had to give you the... Paul said, I was gifted by according to... I was made a preacher according to the great the gift of the grace of God. And so we could never qualify for this calling in our life. And I just want to say that the more we look at God, the greater our, our vision is going to be. And it's not necessarily the vision to do something. It's just a vision of God in my life. It's just a vision of seeing God in the dishes, <laughs> seeing God in the diapers, and seeing God in the details of my life. Maybe that we could call it, the, that could be the, the name of the message. The details, the diapers, the dishes, the diapers, and the details. <laughs> Our vision of God in those details. When we have that vision, then we begin to understand who we are and what God has called us to do. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's, let's close with a word of prayer.